Well, remember how we said a delay in the resumption of gas supplies could hurt the euro? Well, the euro is up today, and yet it does look like gas will be delayed, but maybe there's a legitimate reason for that. Meanwhile, equities are down, bond yields are up. Definitely a more cautious mood today. Maybe it's because Joe Biden didn't come back from Saudi Arabia with the promise of more oil. Or maybe it's just more and more of corporate America is concerned about the economic downturn that everyone is expecting or talking themselves into, depending on your point of view. It's uh, Tuesday, the 19th of July, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, U.S. stocks are down this morning because, of course, on Friday they were up. Stands to reason, doesn't it? Up one day, down the next. We've got a 0.7% drop in the Dow, 0.8% for the Nasdaq, and more than 1% down for the S&P 500. Almost all of that for the S&P 500, by the way, was in the last hour of trade. Uh, European equities, meanwhile, are going the other way. The Eurostoxx 50 is up 1%, so go figure. Bond yields are back on the rise. Ten-year treasuries are up five basis points. They did edge back over 3% earlier, uh, but a few basis points below that now. Yields are higher across Europe as well, up eight basis points for 10-year bunds, up seven for the UK, France and the Netherlands, up 16 basis points in Spain. The US dollar has lost a bit of ground, probably a good thing. It's down uh, 0.6% on the DXY. The Aussie has gained only half of that loss, though. Uh, it is up 0.3% to 68.1 US cents. It's the euro that is making the difference. It's up 0.6%, racing away from parity. And the pound is up even more, 0.8% rise in the uh, in the pound today. And oil leaping back up again. WTI up 4.7%. Brent was up more than 5% today, pushing it over 106 a barrel. It's come back a bit from that now, but not far. Uh, in fact, let's start there with NAB's Ray Atrial in Sydney. Uh, lots of other action overnight, but the big shift has been in oil. That's the story. Obviously, it has been much higher than it is now. Uh, but, you know, this is quite a rise for one day. It certainly doesn't want to sit below $100 for long, does it? No, it doesn't. Yeah, good morning, Phil. And, um, yeah, looking across markets, it's sort of hard to join all the, join all the dots together, but uh, oil is the standout mover. The main story seems to be um, that Saudi Arabia has reportedly um, refused to offer any um, hints that it's willing to crank up um, supplies beyond what was um, already agreed under the <coughs> excuse me OPEC plus Russia agreement. Um, and if anybody really thought that um, Joe Biden was going to get back on the plane with a, a piece of paper in his pocket saying they've agreed to up production by two or three million barrels a day, I think it was. Uh, I don't think anybody would have believed him. But um, but that seems to be the story that um, he's come away. <clears throat> empty-handed, and, um, mm. and that's the reason that the oil price is doing what it's doing. You've got uh, that first thing in the morning voice, Ray. I'd hate to think that the Saudis are joining in with Russia on this, that they're refusing to up oil because they want to see the the, the West struggle. Uh, I'm not saying that that's happening, but it would be awful if it was. I don't think there's any direct link between um, what Saudi Arabia's doing and what Russia may or may not do um, later in the week. But, um, you know, obviously we're still travelling with a huge amount of trepidation as to whether you know, the gas is going to flow uh, come Friday um, after the scheduled maintenance. And interesting story there overnight about um, Gazprom reportedly um, you know, declaring a force majeure on um, several European gas buyers, which reportedly um, you know, relates to a period prior to this sort of 10-day maintenance shutdown. If you remember that um, you know, the flow of gas through the, one of the Nord Stream pipelines into Germany um, 
contracted to about a third of its usual amount uh, back in June, a, you know, a week or two before the scheduled shutdown. So um, the suggestion is that this force majeure you know, relates to that and, and problems with the turbine. Um, but it does, you know, it, it all still... Ricks of, of uh, Vladimir Putin still wanting to pay, pardon the technical expression, city buggers with um, with gas supplies come Friday. So, well, exactly. Uh, nothing to provide any reassurance. Because it's not totally backdated. It is a force majeure, which presumably <clears throat> also means, you know, we... we we're not contracted going forwards either, but I mean, there's the other part as well. The the uh, the turbine, uh, which you know, this replacement part they've been hanging out for, which comes from Siemens in Canada. Uh, Canada only sent it at the weekend, and they didn't send it by uh, Amazon Prime. So it's going to take five to seven days to get there. Then they've got to install it and test it. So I would have thought there's no way in the world it's going to happen this week. No, that's true. So um, so if we're still at zero on the gas flow, and um, we do have a lovely chart that uh, we can update every day, um, you, you wonder whether it's going to be a bit of a grace period before you know markets really determine that uh, there is a dramatic or, or no flow coming through the Nord Stream pipeline. So... Um, yeah, so it may well be that July the twenty first isn't isn't D Day, but um, um, we await developments with ultra keen interest, as they would say. Exactly. If it if it, the genuine reason, you know, it's not just that, uh, playing silly buggers, then then perhaps the yeah, as you say, a bit more leeway. Uh, look, I'm, I'm more concerned in Europe right now because they're fighting fires and coping with the heat. They've got bushfires in Spain, Portugal, and, and France, and the UK could well get into the uh, 40s tomorrow, uh, or you know, there tomorrow, maybe over 41. It's so hot, even Prince Andrew is sweating at the moment in the UK. I thought you might like that one. Uh, look, Apple. I'm not look going it. there. I'm not going there. <laughs> Apple share price today uh, fell a lot. I don't know whether this is uh, just part and parcel of what's driving equities down, but uh, Apple fell about 1.7%. There was a Bloomberg report saying the company is planning to slow hiring and spending growth. I mean, they are obviously very worried about launching products into a potentially recessionary environment with also uh, inflation going on as well. I mean, demand could be low, margins squeezed. It, you know, it doesn't seem like a, a a perfect environment. You can understand why they're doing no, it. No, absolutely. I mean, from what I've seen, you know, they're saying that, uh, that the slowdown is is to enable them to cope with an impending economic downturn. So that's pretty uh, ominous, isn't it? And I think we've had similar um, news that I missed last week from Alpha, Alphabet. They Google um, also planning to uh, delay hiring plans. And of course, this, this news comes uh, in front of uh, Netflix's earnings, which we'll get uh, after tonight's close. So that's going to be and worth remembering that it was really Netflix that uh, that kicked off this big decline in the tech sector uh, following the uh, soon after the Q1 earnings were reported, when um, Netflix sort of shocked the world with news that its subscriber numbers had fallen. What was it, two hundred thousand in the first quarter? Uh, and they were suggesting they could lose as many as two million, I think, in, in Q2. But you know, so but you know you can, an update on those subscriber numbers are kind of going to be a big market moving factor. Yeah, uh, to, my, to tonight's market. Yeah, close. but is that actually going to be? Banks, of course, are doing quite well. So Goldman Sachs up two percent today. But even they were uh, saying, you know, that their that their profits had fallen by forty seven percent. So maybe though, you know, the happy days are behind them as well. But just in the uh, in sort of over the top subscription businesses, there's so many of them now. That even if we weren't in the in the environment we're in, you know, we've had Disney Plus, we've had Paramount Plus, you know, all these new services that are coming on 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 stream. I mean, Netflix is bound to lose market share, isn't it, with so many services? So you've got to factor that in. No, absolutely. But um, you know, and and you know, 
how many households have got more subscriptions than they've possibly got the time of day um, you know, to actually watch all this stuff. So rationalisation certainly seems to be you know, a big watchword. You know, which ones are we really going to pay our 10 bucks or in the case of Netflix, a bit more than that to, um, to subscribe to? So it does seem inevitable, but as ever, it's sort of, you know, how are they performing compared to expectations? So I think that, uh, you know, if the key number was potentially minus 2 million in Q2 um, in terms of loss of subscribers, markets will probably turn on which side of 2 million the, the actuality turns out to be. Mm. So uh, Disney Plus went in our household today, the first casualty. Look, housing, the uh, NAHB housing market index, a sharp fall in the United States. That's gone from 67 to 55. 65 was what was expected. And a big drop in uh, traffic of prospective buyers. So sort of forward-looking gauge, which is down to 37. So it's bad. Uh, but it looks like it's only going to get worse. And then later on, we get uh, tonight, we get the US uh, housing starts and building permits for June after that big fall that we saw in May. So we, uh, it's, it's not looking in good shape, though, is it, the housing market in the US? No, absolutely. It's been, uh, it was certainly one of the, you know, the brightest spots on the way up, and it's one of the, uh, the dimmest, uh, dimmest stars on the way down, at least. So that index, incidentally, from home builders, 55 down from 67. Uh, well below 65, which was expected. And just looking at the chart, if you just X out, you know, the, the crunch in the early phases of the pandemic, that's the weakest that we've seen since 2015. So, uh, and, uh, and so there is a bit of an ominous uh, warning ahead of those housing starts, where, as you say, a small bounce is expected, uh, but only because we had that, what was it, 14.4% plunge in May. Um, you know, so risks might be, you know, on, skewed to the side of a of another absolute fall there. But um, no doubt the housing market's there, and you know, the the proximate cause of, of the downturn continues to be the earlier uh, backup in thirty uh, year fixed rate mortgages, which uh, uh, is what most Americans have. And uh, even though you know the thirty year yield has come back a little bit, it doesn't yet appear to have uh, breathed any new life as far as as you say buyers traffic is concerned. So, um, you know, housing market looks set for some more pain and, and prices in uh, America are only sort of, you know, are still in positive year on year terms. So looking at what's happening and New Zealand is probably the bellwether here with prices already down about 10% from the highs. We know they're down in the likes of Sydney and Melbourne, for example, and it shouldn't be too much longer before we see absolute price declines in the US. Yeah, although New Zealand and Sydney and the like potentially overvalued, of course, you could say, couldn't you? <laughs> no, absolutely. And from an economic point of view, first remembering that we talk about wealth effects but uh, in the united states it's uh, it's stock markets that are the bigger driver there because more americans have their uh, net wealth in the form of equities relative to housing you know unlike down in this part of the world so the u.s dollar's down today i mean you might have a theory about why that is apart from the fact it's all over the place but i mean it does seem you know given past performance it'll be back how do we stop it rising and making life harder for the rest of the world because you know we, we talked about this a few times over recent uh, podcasts you know those, those particularly smaller countries a poor exchange rate it's compounding the inflation problems and obviously making energy even even more expensive for them at the same time from a u.s point of view it's not a necessarily unwelcome development this tightening of financial conditions implicit in a stronger dollar you know just adds a little bit of uh, of oomph to the uh, to the efforts to get inflation down but you know as unwelcome as it is for many other uh, parts of the world you know I, I, I say, said at the beginning, it's difficult to join everything up um, this morning, so I'm not quite sure where the dollar is is down. I think it is just sort of recoiling from you know new record or cycle highs that we had 
um, last week at least. But to the you know to the question, you know, when is it going to stop? Um, you know, a key precondition is going to be confidence that you know the peak in the Fed's tightening cycle is going to be no higher than markets are, are currently anticipating. And um, you know, just catching up on on the weekend news, I know James Bullard at the weekend has had upped his estimate of how high rates would need to be. He's got a four in front of it, and um, you know, which is more than the market has got priced. And 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 Bullard has been you know you know has been the leading light in in, in, in you know in terms of his hawkish rhetoric. So. Until or unless we can get to that point where we really think the Fed has peaked and perhaps confidence that rates are coming down as early as next year can be bolstered, then um, we still think the dollar, by and large, is not going to come to any great harm. Yeah. Um, New Zealand's inflation yesterday up to 7.3% higher than expected. So this has jumped from 6.9% in Q1, even though their interest rates are at 2.5% now. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that's the other question. When are we going to see all this inflation expectation leveling off anywhere? You know, it seems like it's still going up, irrespective of uh, how hawkish central banks are. Yeah, well, obviously, we're going to get the latest Australian uh, read uh, next week. So keen anticipating that. Sometimes there's a bit of a read through from, from New Zealand to uh, Australia and say small upside surprises again. And um, something called the sectoral factor model, which is what the RBNZ publishes a few hours after the the stats office puts their numbers out and you know and that was up at 4.8 with an upward revision i think to the previous quarter to 4.6 from 4.2 or 4.3 so as yet absolutely no signs of, of moderation um so for the time being at least you know let's just remember that monetary policy is supposed to work with a lag isn't it you know you raise rates today and you know 12 months 24 months later something happens to inflation which you know so uh, let's not lose sight of that at least but, yeah. uh, in terms so of, uh, well you know, just how hard central banks are going to go in the coming well if months, there's a lag there's so. danger they go too far of course isn't there so michael saunders from the bank of england has been saying that a resolution foundation forum that the bank of england uh, bank rate could reach two percent or more next year you know looking at New Zealand, that seems very likely, but also I think you know that's uh, that's more or less what markets have priced in. If less, isn't it? So uh, nothing really we can take out from what he said, but maybe we can take something from Michelle Bullock, the deputy governor of the RBA. She's giving a speech midday Sydney time called "How Are Households Placed for Interest Rate Increases." So there's that, isn't there? And then there's also the cuts to real wages as well. And we've got Jim Chalmers, the uh, new treasurer, is going to be talking about that next week when he gives his economic statement to Parliament. So those two pressures that everyone in the world is facing, you know, that uh, rising interest rates and lower uh, cost of living, uh, rising cost of living, I should say. Uh, and, you know, that raises the question, how big are those rises going to have to be from the RBA? No, absolutely. So a keenly awaited uh, speech, really sort of the first sort of headline sort of macro uh, level speech that, uh, well, micro in the sense that I'm sure there'll be a lot of great statistics about, uh, you know, household debt burdens and, uh, and interest burdens at different levels of interest rates. So, um, you know, a, a real clue as to, you know, how much the sort of cash flow channel is going to uh, is going to hit households. So uh, I think that'll be keenly awaited at, at midday here. And just on the Saunders thing, note that the UK labour market numbers are out and what happens with average earnings, I think, will have a, some bearing on an interest rate expectations, which already have rates above 2% priced in by September, so nothing new from Saunders there. Yeah, average earnings was up 6.8% in May, so uh, is that going to uh, uh, creep up? And uh, and a lot of that's going to depend as well, you know, how, how it's, what the central bank has to do is going to be dependent on the fiscal policy of the, the Prime Minister, and we still don't know who that's going to be. Oh, absolutely. And uh, we also get the, the, the final CPI for the Eurozone, it's at 8.6%, that's the, the headline number, so the question is how much is that going to go up, and uh, you know, what's the, the role of gas prices and all of that? Uh, but that'll do for now, that's it, I think we'll call it a day, Thanks, Ray. 
Thanks, Phil. And that's how things are this Tuesday morning from the Morning Call from NAB. I'm Phil Dobby. I'm back again tomorrow morning. I hope you can join me then. Have a great day.